Oh, oh, one more thing. Yes, Just One More Thing, a podcast dedicated to iconic 1970s detective television show, Columbo. I'm John Morris. And I'm R.J. White. This time around, we're talking about Undercover, originally broadcast May 2nd, 1994, starring Ed Begley Jr., Burt Young, Sheer Denise, Harrison Page, and of course, Peter Falk as Columbo. It was directed by Vincent McEvity, written by Jerry Day from a story, allegedly, by Ed McBain. And every episode of Just One More Thing, we are joined by a special guest to help us discuss Columbo. This time around, we're welcoming back Chicago-based writer Leonard Pierce, who was last with us on our very first episode. Oh, my. Oh, my. But before we bring on Leonard, RJ, tell us a little bit about the episode Undercover. (sighs) (sighs) When two dudes kill each other in a fleabag apartment over a fragment of a jigsawed photograph, Columbo's left wondering why. Soon, a disgraced insurance investigator helps to fill in the blanks, and we're thrown into a world of torn-up lists of names, failed bank holdups, missing loot, and sawed-off parking meters that figure into a Columbo episode that can at best be charitably described as unconventional. No homes the rich and powerful here, no, just Columbo going undercover, making his way through seedy dive hotels, blousy dames, and a string of corpses armed only with a gun. A gun? An accent and a pair of Zubaz pants. It's some kind of crazy standard government issue cop story where we don't even find the murderer's identity until the end, and my god, I don't know why. Leonard, welcome back to the show. <laughs> our second, after Mallory Artberg, our second return guest. Thank you for uh, doing so. Oh, it's my pleasure, RJ and John. <laughs> is, uh, is there a bit. Nice back on the show. After having been that guy who kicked off the pilot episode and then was dropped after the uh, audiences hate him. Okay, there you go. Yes. We ran out of time. You're a Chucky Cunningham. So I'm going to. So first off, um, in terms of quality drop off and difference between the Johnny Cash episode and this one, uh, how how did you find that uh, that difference, Leonard? Well, this was um, when I first started watching it, I watched the YouTube version. Uh huh. And was temporarily deluded into thinking it was a 70s episode because the sound and the film quality were so bad. Right. But it turned out it's a 90s episode. and uh, Yes, it is. The first 90s Columbo I've ever seen. Oh, really? I'm sorry. Oh, that's good. I only watched the 70s Columbo in my youth for obvious reasons because I was not a child in the 1990s. There you go. And so I pretty much assumed that the 90s Columbos were all terrible. And if this is my first exposure to it, I think my guess was correct. Uh, I was hoping to like it because, as you say, it is allegedly based on an Ed McBain novel. But uh, I'm guessing it was not based on a particularly good Ed McBain novel. Well, I was I was going to ask that. Um, I am not familiar with the work of Ed McBain. Um, I, I know John definitely is. I presume uh, you are too, Leonard. I, yes. I This is not a good Columbo episode. Is it a good Ed McBain story? It's a serviceable Ed McMahon story. Oh, it's there you go. Song. That's damn fame praise. Okay. Well, it's not It's not the greatest one. I would put it probably... John, about... I actually have a question. Is this based on an 87th Precinct novel? Yeah. Okay. So in I think fact, the, the problem is that the 87th Precinct novels are very good police procedurals, but what drives them is that you have this very interesting and diverse cast of characters that are the 87th Precinct detectives. Right. And what they did in this was they just took all of them out and replaced them with Columbo. Yeah, there is I one character, uh, Detective Brown, who is Columbo's partner in this. Right, who is uh, a character in the novel right. as well, but he's not portrayed in the same way. No, absolutely not. Usually. And I, I think he's the only character they dragged in from the novels. Yeah. Oh. And, and they got the uh, angry black chief from Sledgehammer. I know, that's great. Yes, the wonderful <laughs> Sledgehammer. I uh, that's I, I I was watching like I know this guy. Where I look it up, like oh yes, of course that. I hate yes. to say I recognized him from CPO Shark. Yes, I that's the, the two shows. The two shows I wrote down <laughs> what a that I realized I knew him from were yes, Sledgehammer and CPO Sharky. Well, so. let's jump right into that because uh, RJ and I have been discussing time and again why this episode is so vastly different from it's the typical because it's episode. not. They decided not to make a Columbo <laughs> episode. I guess I don't know. Is it? Did, were they kind of 
tire well, this think, season and had a script lying around and decided just to copy and paste? Did yeah. they want to do something different? Like, oh, you know what? We've got this thing, this this wonderful formula people love for 40-odd years. Uh, well, let's just do something different this time. I mean, like, I don't know why they did this. I'm, I'm of two minds. I, th- I think it's very likely this was a stealth pilot. Really? And that is amazing to me because it would have spun off on Detective Brown, and he does not do a lot in this episode. Anything memorable in this episode no, at all? No, because it gave everything to Columbo. What little there right. was. I oh my it's, goodness! Uh, it, it's very strange too because you know we even talked about this in the very first episode. Is that when Columbo talks about his bosses downtown, it's always a ruse, you know, to get information out of somebody i know and this one you see them and it's a weird incompetent boss who uh that's so weird (laughs) and and he's a weird incompetent boss who constantly tries to make puzzle pieces that obviously don't fit together fit together like in the first shot you see their their captain it's always like of the photographic pieces two pieces don't like both times like oh these don't fit together yeah of course they he tries don't. to put the corner piece in one of the, the cut pieces oh my goodness gracious and he, he puts also, a sharp like, corner it's in it. weird to hear a chief yelling at Columbo like he's incompetent because right. Columbo has to be one of the greatest oh, I know. detectives in the country right yes. you know my favorite part about the captain is and I loved this to pieces is that it's like the captain has never heard of crime before. <laughs> when he when he tells Columbo he's got to go undercover, he's like, but you're going to be investigating this real tough guy. He beats people up. He's a real bad guy. Like, right. yeah, that's a criminal. Yeah, and, and Columbo at this point has been on the force for like 30 years. He probably knows how this works, I would guess. He's put away literally 100 murderers. Yes. And his captain's like, I don't know if you want to go after this guy. He beats people up. Oh my goodness! And, and conversely, on sort of the other side of the coin, this episode is much more violent. Than oh my gosh! Oh yeah! I did not like. I did. Why did I like seeing Columbo get kicked in the face? I was not yeah, a fan he, of that. He was like ninety. Oh, carry a gun. Yeah. He gets beaten up. Yeah. <laughs> and usually in these shows, there's usually only one or two victims, and we don't really see their corpses. Their this is a string of murdered people. And I think I I I I hesitate a little bit to to criticize it too much because I don't want to be one of those people who's like. Oh, this deviated from the path, the established path of this this storyline that's carried about. But this one goes way beyond that. It's like it's a little jarring. Like, why did they even bother making a make a new thing? Why did they bother making a Columbo thing? It just doesn't fit with this yeah, very I, very I, specific honestly, thing they've done with a character for decades before this. It's so strange. I honestly think there was either a stealth pilot or they're looking to extend the life of the Columbo franchise <laughs> Columbo by franchise. giving him. And, you know, there's, there, you know, they tried once and it wasn't great. Yeah. So they might have been trying to like build up a Columbo franchise for the rest of the '90s because Falk was. How old was Falk when he did this? Um, I don't know. Pretty old though. He was yeah. up there for sure. Can Can we just uh, while we're on the subject of people being pretty old, yes. Can we just mention that Burt Young is in this episode, which was done 21 years ago? Yes. And he looks as old then as he actually is now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but also uh, watching it and and uh, my uh, my wife Laura, she knows like he actually looks pretty good there. He looks kind of thin there, thinner than in yeah. the Rocky movies. And speaking of the Rocky movies, <laughs> can can we address that line, that line that Sheer Denise has, referring we- to Burt Young, where she says to Columbo like, "Oh, he looks like that guy in the who played in Rocky." Like, no, yeah. boo. Like I, I kind of wish they had done that. Don't do that line. If Shira Denise had just walked uh, through the episode like, hey, you kind of look like that guy from St. Elsewhere. Right. And you, yes. You look like the guy from the Brinks job. That would be pretty funny <laughs> yes. to me. Yes. But no, they didn't do that. It's that one on the money line there about poor Burt Young. Yes. Yeah, Burt Young ends up getting murdered. Uh, who's, 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 who acts terribly? The things I liked about this episode, and there weren't many. Right. I could have listened to Peter Falk and Burt Young do their tough guy. That would have been a much a more hour. Yes, it would have been a much more entertaining, different television show. Yeah, the two of them doing the th- like the, the the scene in the apartment with the two of them. Right, we're um, two seventy year old men who have never been to fist fight in their lives, threaten each other. Yes, we got to shake hands. Yeah. We'll shake hands. Hey, oh, we're in the business now. Did, what that was Paul, okay. What did, did Colombo call him? When he, like, opens the door and, and slams the door into him or whatever he does. Oh, he, he sends that note through the door. Says, yeah, uh, you're, a, you're an ass. Something like that. Yeah. It's Which is the not note very says, Columbo-esque. But. No, it's not. There's so much that's not Columbo-esque. In this one thing 
uh, that that's a big thing with the show that's been traditionally part of it. This so Columbo's going undercover, can't have contact with anyone. There's no mention of Mrs. Columbo once in this episode. Right. This thing, which is such a huge uh, part of his character, mentioning her, concerned about her. Oh, I, I got to live for like a week or two in a hotel. The name of this ep- of the show, for one thing. It just ah, oh, it it just he doesn't such do a, his you know KG. No. Uh, Incompetent routine. There's know? none of that. It's well, I very have a, strange. I have a list of everything that makes this not a Columbo episode. Uh, John, please do. All right, here we go. Okay. No, number one. Number one. Yes. Columbo is undercover. That's, that's a good that's one. Number one. Yes. Number two, very rarely wears his trademark coat. Right. Number three, carries a gun. Number four, never mentions Mrs. Columbo. Nope. Number five, gets all up in a prostitute's business. Oh, my goodness. Okay. But I'll take keep, keep, going, keep going through the list, but right. we'll, we'll get to Tyne Daily later. Six, Goodness gracious. Number six does not engage in a game of cat and mouse with the killer. Nope. Number seven, in fact, the audience only discovers the killer's identity right at the end. Well, unless number, you're a moron who can't see who the killer is from his very first scene, but yes. <laughs> no, number eight, also there's no class difference between Columbo and the killer, really, or at least it's not played up. Right. Uh, number nine, Columbo kind of isn't really even investigating a murder. No. No. Uh, number 10, loads of supporting cop characters and scenes in the office. He's got a partner uh, pretty much in this. What's that? He's got a partner pretty much in this. Yeah, he does, odd. which is yeah. unusual. Uh, number 11, the story focuses on Columbo's relationships with his fellow cops more than it, uh, rather than his relationship with the killer. As you would in a novel about cops. Exactly. Fellow cops are very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> no, two, I don't think two of them even had names. Oh, the two younger They're, guys? Yeah, they, they kept sticking their heads in and giving expository information and then disappearing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number 12, uh, he can transform into a cat or an eagle to fight crime. Wait, what? Number, number wait, wait. 13, has a robot partner. Jo- wait, oh, he's, he's, he's Holmes and Yo-Yo, what? Uh, number 14, does not exhibit his trademark humility. Right. Number 15, the episode is action-driven rather than character-driven or plot-driven. Right. Uh, number 16, Columbo is an acronym standing for Crime Obliteration Laser Utility Mandroid Beta OS. <laughs> God. Uh, number 17, he's got a talking car. <laughs> number 18, Columbo takes a punch, which I literally have that never was, seen. I was, I, was, I was bothered by the physical, like I was wincing was and bothered. I looked it up. By, yes, a 70-year-old man getting punched. One, it's Columbo. Two, he's an old man in this. I, I, was, I was very bothered by him taking punches and kicks to the head and whatnot. I was very. Yeah. It's grotesque because he's, he's, yes. he's very old. You don't want to see an old man take a punch. Yeah. Uh, then number nineteen is the actual murderer is Columbo. Only he hides his tracks too well. And number twenty <laughs> is that Columbo dies in the opening scene, and this is his deathbed hallucination. Oh well, yeah, that was a weird twist. That was John, a weird twist. Point out one that you missed. Oh, I forgot. This is the only episode that I know of where Columbo bribes a priest. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's right. Yes, he does. Uh, This this is not Columbo's finest hour as an investigator. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. I feel so bad for the people listening to this because this episode's not on Netflix. I don't think it's on Amazon Prime. No, it's like you would have to get the DVD set or look at it on uh, YouTube. It is. Oh, wait, hold on, John, 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 John. You just said you feel bad for the people listening to this because they do not have easy access to this episode. I think you're. Using the wrong phrase, feel bad. Feel bad just for us. Yes. <laughs> Imagine, though, if you were following a show for a really long time, like you were following Cheers. Right. And there's one episode <laughs> you never saw, and it's not available because of like some licensing or copyright oh, sure, or whatever. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. And then, but when people tell you about it, they're like, yeah, that's the one where Sam has powers to turn into a chicken under a full moon? <laughs> or like, that's the one where Diane was replaced by a pan of sizzling eggs? Like, it's very confusing to hear that it's completely off-formula and feel not be able to see it. Our, our colleagues uh, over in uh, Scotland, uh, the, the <laughs> fellows who do the um, the Columbo podcast, and we're in negotiations now to have them uh, hopefully be guests on this. Um, they're doing theirs in order. So yeah. they've got, they're going through the good ones, the 70s ones, and they're going to hit a point where they've got, like, this long hallway of yeah. these just stretched out in front of them for completeness sake. I, I don't envy those fellows at all because at least have, this, we were jumping back and forth like those guys, sure. they got they got a long tough road ahead of them and God bless them. 
Don't, God, don't what's forget it for that doing immediately it? following Undercover is the fabled George Went episode. Oh, see? See? Oh, my goodness. Which is literally the worst episode, I think, in the there, entire series. Uh, that's going to be our last one. But yes, that's... Oof. So, you know, I know that, that, that one's going to be our Arthur Godfrey telling you the apocalypse is coming. That, that's, what our, that, that's what ours is going to be, the George Went episode. Nice deep cut. I know, I know we don't go through these episodes scene by scene from the beginning anymore, but can I just mention that one of my favorite Oh, we fixed that because that didn't work with you. I, I, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite things about the beginning of this episode... Yes? And it, we see this apartment building, right? And some right. little breaks into it, and he's tearing it up looking for something. Yeah. And the tenant of the building starts oh, yes. coming upstairs after checking his mail. Yes. Right. And the where you going? has received a porn magazine. And he cannot wait to get upstairs. on the stairs on his way up. He cannot wait to get back to his seedy apartment and masturbate. He is so excited about that after He's his like, job at the gas station. If this is a good one, I'm just going to stop on the landing and squeeze one out. <laughs> he is so excited just to get up there and uh, start reading his copy of Suave. Suave. And just get in, get in his apartment. He's like, what? Oh, no, someone's robbing my place? I, I can't look at the ladies in Suave. Um, also in that same apartment building, so yeah, the, the horrible murder occurs, and we find out about the murder from the perspective of the landlady, who's actually one of the few things I like about this episode, where she's on a payphone in the hallway. Right. Here's the two gunshots. It tells the person phone something like, uh, oh, yeah, they're shooting upstairs. I gotta go. She's used to this. She's She's, great. Is crummy. Oh, she's wonderful. Way, pretty sure that's from the book. Oh, really? I because that sure was that, that was a great line. And then the one she has later on too, when she's talking to the cops. No, yeah, I have two gunshots. I don't get why people think. I always think it's a car backfiring, right. which, which I love that also. Book, sure, Good. Maybe I should yeah, read this book then. So uh, you're. Uh, RJ, you are not familiar with the 87th Precinct novels, but John, I know you are. No, not at all. This, no. is a, this is a sensation I got watching the show, and maybe you can confirm or deny this. I felt like another problem with it is that because the 87th Precinct novels, they're not set in New York, but they're set in this analog of New York called Isola. I wondered about that, because this the, entire the thing felt like it should be in New York, York City. Feel to it. Like the, it's, it seems like it was a story written in New York. And some, you know, are about New York and sort of clumsily transplanted to L.A. Yeah, it did not fit at all. To the point that there's even a a plot point that hinges on, like, parking rules. And there aren't any in L.A. because you can park anywhere you want. (laughs) The whole fucking city is a parking lot. So that straight, you know, the whole thing, it's like there's these little details that are like, (laughs) oh... I see how this was originally supposed to be New York, and they just didn't care to change this plot point. Yeah, no, because I've, I've talked about that on the show before, about how this show is such, Columbo in general, is such a very, very specifically Los Angeles show about him being this guy from New York who is out of place in Los Angeles, out of place, these powerful people, these beautiful people, these rich people, and that's what's so great about the way he goes after them and is able to kind of, like, get them to underestimate him. And this just completely throws that out and that they have to kind of just sort of fit this square fake New York into the round peg of Los Angeles that it just doesn't make sense or work at all. The the funeral like, scene, for instance, was like at the at the big church. Yeah. Right. And he's dressed like a New York mobster. Yes. Right. Yes. You know, yeah, he's not wearing like a light shirt. All the mobsters in LA, they wear Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> oh my god! So but then, like the the widow comes out and she's in the black lace and she's she's just covered in in uh, in shawls after shawl, right? Which again is not a very California thing. No, no. Uh, it just I obviously there's Italians in Los Angeles, but I just don't feel like there's. Like, that felt very much like oh, a yeah. very old interpretation of Italians in New York. It did. Kind of all of it did. The, the no buildings. Italians in Los Angeles, how could this whole episode have been a hate crime against Italians? Oh, my God. <laughs> that line. So when Ed Bigley Jr. comes in to the, the uh, squad room the as, as the investigator, and he pretty much, Ed Bigley Jr., is an exposition muse- machine and just lays out the backstory for these two the initial murders. The old exposition machine. Yes. Um... Uh, Columbo at some point uh, catches that he said Trezaro, you know, the, the Italian word for treasure. He's like, oh, are you Italian? Well, so is the leader of the gang. Oh, really? Hey. Okay. What a weird freaking line. It's just, uh, yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff about Italians in this episode that I don't feel great about. It's, it's so weird. Well, let's, ah. uh, let's pull off and talk about some of the other characters. We can kind of start with Ed Bagley. Yes. 
Who Ed Begley Jr. Jr. Who does, I think, an admirable job. I given, like him in this. He's okay yeah. in this. Um, we do get the most unfortunate camera angle in history. Oof! Goodness gracious! Near the end of the near the yeah. end of the episode, he reaches into his belt to retrieve his piece of the photograph. <laughs> he reaches in and you, for some, it's pointing for some down. Reason, the camera shoots down like a POV porno to towards down his pants, head, belly, down into his, his pants. pants. Which, Why? you know what, but here, it kind of, for me, it fits with another thing. So the, these photo fragments, they're all going after. It's like a pieces of cut-up photo that are supposed to um, give the location of this $4 million, uh, uh, like, a crate of cash from a bank heist that went wrong years and years ago. And you see the photos, and um, we're watching this, and my wife, Laura, she she sees the photo, and she she quoted uh, the, the noted attorney, Barry Zuckercorn. And the appearance of the photo. I was like, those are balls. It's like, but then it kind of makes sense if you look down, like they, they're looking down at Bagley's pants at the end, like, oh, well, there you go. Mitch Hurwitz, he got that from that, probably. He was auditioning for Suave. Yeah, there, yes, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my uh, God. I think Ed Bagley did a pretty good job. But but uh, his but his character's um, alibi the entire time was uh, he was just out doing it. He was, Constantly. He was fucking too much to have murdered yeah. anybody. He, he was, he, well, what, what's his alibi? Well, Lieutenant, uh, we, it checks out he was fucking all the time. Uh, Lieutenant, he has the humble brag defense. Damn it, that's yeah. impenetrable. Sorry, I was I was having too much sex with this blonde. I'm afraid what's our sex life is too so Crutch. His name is Crutch? Yes. yes, it's pretty much it's a Will Eisner character name. Yeah. It's, Irving, it's Irving, Irving Crutch. Yeah. Oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> Which is ridiculous. It's just Irving Crutch. It's just well, he does uh, not even close because Edward Hibbert in this plays Bramley Khan. Yes. Which is which is a name that's so insane it may as well be like oh, you know what? Edward Hibbert Stanchion Blunderbuss. Edward Hibbert. I mean, I knew I knew who he was from um, uh, Frasier, but I looked him up. He's actually also a literary agent. Has been for a while. He's oh, uh, he? he handles uh, Chuck Palahniuk, for instance. Hmm. And well, negotiated like the film stuff for uh, Fight Club and things. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. And he was the inspiration for Fight Club. There you go. What? All right. No, it wasn't uh, yeah. bad. <laughs> However, so looking at the weird names in this episode. I'll oh, there's, uh, there's one guy, J.J. Dillinger. Oh, that is the worst. Good Lord. J.J. Dillinger. Oh. I, I wonder what the J stands for. I, I, yeah, gosh, sort of, there was a lot of sort of stealth gangster names in this, like J.J. Dillinger's John Dillinger. Um, Burt Young's character was Mo Weinberg. Yes, I'm assuming after the famous gangster Bo Weinberg, uh, who was uh, one of the guys who killed uh, Dutch Schultz. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Sergeant Brown was Arthur Brown, as in the Crazy World of. I am of course, sure. that had right. to be. <laughs> Jeez. I uh, I I think uh, so. There's a detective McKittrick. Apparently, was one of the two baby detectives who was helping out Brown and Columbo. Baby detectives. And the actor's name is Albie Selznick. Oh, which is a Your relation. That sounds more fictional than any other name. It's Al- actually yeah. in the fiction. Maybe. Um. Okay, so we're talking about the other. Uh, well, you know what? Before we get to the one I really want to get to, uh, let's talk about Shira Denise in this episode. Sure. Uh, Peter Falk's wife. She did great. I, I, she was great in this. I liked her a great deal. She was very fun until they just murdered her. Um, yeah, but she was great. Um, the whole thing where she immediately pegs him as a cop. But again, it's part of that weird thing where the whole thing tries to feel like it's some weird 40s noir thing, which is yeah, very, really very strange. Pulp styling and everybody had Well, a, I mean, when, when, he first, when he first goes to her um, uh, art gallery to like question her, he he's dressed like he's kept a costume from the cheap detective, and right. he's acting like that some forties detective guy. And, and also then, that there yeah. are a number of times in which he goes places, and there's this like vaudeville music playing on the. <laughs> oh jeez! Oh <laughs> well, no. When he when he goes to when he goes to um uh Pierre Denise's house to really uh, grill her about the uh, one fragment of the photograph, and she's just wearing like this. 1940s dressing gown thing in this completely all white house drinking mimosas and the music that she apparently listens to it sounds like a, it's like a Bohunks record 
where they're playing like Little Rascals soundtrack for some yeah, reason. It's really weird. Like the it's minute they, just so the minute strange. They introduce the idea that Columbo is going undercover. It's like, is he going undercover into a Little Rascals short? That's what it sounds like the entire time. Like some weird 1920s movies. I don't know why. So many strange choices in this thing. I don't get it. We talked about this this before. Again, since I haven't seen any other 90s episodes, this may not be the case. But is Sharon Denise's character the first person to ever swear in a Columbo episode? There was a lot. There were there were there were a lot of a lot of profanity in this one more than I thought. Yeah, I was actually shocked when I was surprised too. Yeah, what? (laughs) They had to have bleeped that out because this was sure. Yeah, I'm trying to think. NYPD Blue. When did that start? That's our ninety three, ninety four. Maybe yeah, ABC. First time I can remember there being cursing on TV. So I think uh, ABC was feeling their oats and like, oh, we'll let Columbo do it too. What the yeah. hell? <laughs> Go ahead. That'll be Turns out Columbo. Well, has for a- that matter, we kind of saw Peter Falk's ass too. So a little, yeah. So there you go. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a Peter Falk's a lot of Peter Falk leg and a lot of uh, Ed Begley Jr. leg and that robe in his apartment. There's too yeah, much. I, did, I also dudes. liked how she like didn't buy Columbo's act for a minute. And... That was fun. Yeah, that was great. Uh, can we? So we've done that. So now let's let's gentlemen move on <laughs> to. Happy we complimented it. Let's move on. Yes, that was a good thing about the episode. Sheridanese was a good thing about the episode. We can all agree. So Do you let's want to talk now... about the other good thing though. That's <laughs> the one other good thing. What's your one other good thing? Time daily, I think. I, oh, I, that's that's not the adjective I was going to use. But okay, okay let's talk about time daily scene because that's a messed up scene. But I think she did an amazing job in it. I think she was doing some sort of weird actors workshop off Broadway thing to show off a little bit. She was putting salt on the scenery and just chewing away. Oh, I don't think she was chewing. She was chewing she away. The scenery. Good there's, lord! There's that great bit where she like she starts to drink and then she drifts off and looks to the side, takes the drink, says, winces, goes, it, "That's this is poison. poison!" And then she drinks it. She finishes it. Uh, I love that. It was that's, too much. It was beautiful. That's beautiful stuff. But it, yeah, but it was too much for me. It was like way too. Uh, Leonard, how did you feel about Tyne Daly? You're the deciding vote. Well, the important thing is that no one was hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Except the American television pu- television viewing public. Yes. I think she was trying. I think she was doing the best she could. She was Michelle trying too Bennett. hard. It was just nuts. It but made it was no a sense. Weird scene. It was a weird scene, and it was a fever dream. It was weird. She was playing, yeah, she was playing it sort of Blanche Dubois. That's that's right. it. Yes, that's a, that's it exactly. It was like some weird Tennessee Williams faded bell by way of New York. And I'm not going to say she did a bad job of it. It just seemed out of place. Like so oh, so out of place. People. Out of place for Columbo, and almost well, maybe not out of place for this episode, but it seemed very out of well, place. This- for a Columbo this episode. episode, in a lot of ways, feels like every 15 minutes it was handed off to another director. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Yes. Oh, totally. That's a that's a great way to think about it. Yeah. Well, it's one of those blockbusters that la- like had seven different writers, you know, every kind of <laughs> revision of the script, you know. I will save it in the editing room. That'll fix but it. There was no salvation in the editing room that day, my oh, friend. Oh, my God. Now, let's have a look at my notes. Yeah, Columbo ending up in the hospital after he gets uh, kicked That's in the right. face. Mm. And uh, I'm not sure if this is a standard policy at hospitals to uh, have a nurse actually steal someone's clothes. That, that, that's that's a, nice. That's a pretty 1940s thing again. That's very strange. Yeah. But then it's, after that... It did give me one of my only good laughs of the show where he complained that he, even prisoners get one phone call. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's not bad. But then uh, when he does find a phone, for some reason, that guy in the room thinks that Columbo is talking on the phone about his roommate in the hospital uh, dying. Which, alright, sure. A confusing a confusing uh, conclusion to reach, but okay. Yes. All right. Perhaps he was Why on not? drugs. Could be. Yes. Well, he wouldn't have been the only one in this episode. <laughs> oh, oh uh, Leonard. Leonard, I have a question. Yes. Uh, concerning uh, Burt Young, uh, when Columbo is going to Burt Young's apartment to try to make the deal undercover, looks through the good old-fashioned uh, 1940s movie Keyhole to see what uh, Burt Young is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leonard, mm-hmm. you are a fellow. You're a gun enthusiast, right? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm an enthusiast. But I mean, but I mean but you're 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 aware of the, the care and usage and handling of guns. I, I know the I know the kill you end from the hold on to end. Okay, I'm going to ask you much more of an expert than I am. 
Um, is it normal to uh, just kind of shake a gun to make sure it's full of bullets? Is that normal procedure? You're like, oh, I don't know if this gun's got bullets in it. I'm going to shake it a few times. Yeah, that's totally normal if the gun shoots ping pong balls. Okay, good. Good. Uh, but uh, it seemed odd to me that he did that. Loaded by just picking it up because the bullets are made of metal and they make it heavy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So no, I figured, like, a, he, that was a weird little. He didn't need to shake well. it. He didn't need to shake it. Maybe he was palsied. <laughs> could, could be. <laughs> that was it. Oh, way to add a level of sadness to the show. Well, no, it much. makes sense because he was kind of a boxing trainer guy because he looked like the fellow who played in Rocky. So maybe yeah. he took a few blows to the head. I, what's more, I want to reiterate that Burt Young was in his 50s when that episode aired. Yeah. And looks just the same right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, he's one of those he's guys that can... guys who just perpetually does not age. He probably looked at that 20s and playing that same character for a very, very long time. Yeah, when are we gonna, when are we gonna stop? I talked about this once that the guy who played um, Officer Krupke in West Side Story, who is just this quintessentially grizzled old beat cop, yeah, was in his mid 30s when he did that movie. <laughs> wow. So those kind of character actors impress me a lot. Those guys yeah. who just look old, young, yeah. because they've got really good career. I don't know. Does that happen much anymore or no? I'm trying to think like modern character actors who've done that sort of same thing. And I what? don't know. I, my thing is like, I am personally slightly uglier than a car fire fucking a garbage dump. <laughs> yes. And okay. I have no charisma. So I'm not really sure where they're getting it. <laughs> That's, that remark, it was just to say that terrible, terrible analogy. My God. How ugly you are. I, I didn't realize my ugliness would shock you, so... Good Lord. I, 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 I ain't the sunniest fellow in the world, and that even that kind of took me aback a little bit. So, uh, can, can we all stop dancing around yes. in the room of Columbo Undercover, which is the presence of Sergeant Brown's Zuba's pants? Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. Why did we take so long to get to that? I mentioned it in my intro, but I didn't want to say yeah. it again out of politeness. Yeah, so they decided for a gag, Columbo needed pants to get out of the hospital. So Sergeant Brown, his partner, uh, brought uh, his, his pair of Zubaz pants. All right, sure, why not? And so they keep it on for several scenes. It's a long gag in this episode. Columbo wearing crazy Zubaz pants. Yes, sure. it, there's no buildup and no payoff to it because it just ends with him getting real pants and then holding on to the pants. Yes. And then like fiddling with the pants. Yes. And, and then telling Detective Brown, I got your pants. And Detective Brown saying, you can keep them. I don't want to keep these pants. Ah. But it, even that scene went on forever. But see, you know, it kind of tells you, though, a good thing. Like, even back in the 90s when Zubaz pants were popular, uh, people knew uh, Zubaz pants were lousy and only to be mocked. Which, that heartened you a little bit from the get-go. Everybody knew Zubaz pants were terrible. Guess that in the, I'm going to guess that in the potential spinoff that this was supposed to be about Sergeant Brown and the faux 87th Precinct, yeah. that Sergeant Brown had a side career as a professional wrestler. Maybe that's it, yes. The only reason he had such a pair of pants. So, uh, Sergeant Brown, you, you talked about this earlier, John, about how yeah. if they did intend this, maybe that is it, they intended this to be a stealth pilot, they didn't really give him much to do except react. But he got yeah, a he lot had... of really strange reactions. Like, there's this one, uh, when they're in uh, What's-His-Head's apartment, looking for the second fragment of the photograph, which Columbo finds by inserting metal tweezers into a light fixture that's on, by the way. Yeah, I thought um, it was going to be the shortest Columbo episode ever. Yeah. Um, Columbo's telling like, oh, look at the cigar box. And he starts his weird lines, like, cigars, yeah, I'm going to get cancer of the, what, your hands? That's such a weird, like, so many weird yeah. lines. And when Columbo says he's going to go to, like, the, the art gallery, Sheridanese's art gallery, it just hold like, they use that to go into commercial, and there's this dramatic music sting, and just slowly goes in on Brown looking very frightened that Columbo's going to go to an art gallery. I like, personally, I like when Brown himself is exploring the art gallery later, and he's sort of idly and disinterestedly walking around it. Oh, he's supposed to be in, investigating, but he's just kind of... Yeah, I've walking. seen an art gallery before. 
Yeah. Eh. I'm not impressed. Eh. The Renaissance collection's terrible. This is awful. It was There's a 1970s art gallery, too. I mean, considering it was supposed to be in L.A. in the mid-90s, there were no naked performance artists. Yeah. <laughs> Tampons in uh, a teacup. What's the, there's <laughs> hey, a long it, it, history of that kind of BS in Colombo where it's modern art, but, it's, but it turns out to just be Vic Tabak painting flowers. <laughs> so it's never modern. It's not contemporary in any way. You know what I'm talking about, RJ? There's a, like, no, the I don't. I, I want to know more of what. what? This, was, this is like the second or third episode, I think, Framed for Murder or something like that. And Vic Tabak has a role as a as a bohemian. I, I still haven't artist. seen this. I haven't seen this one yet. No. Oh, it's so good. He's basically playing Picasso. Vic Tabak, Mel Sharples. Vic Tabak. Oh. Uh, he, but he's painting what are effectively like uh, community college still lifes. Wow. That's great. Oh. And I think that kind I'm of always shows up whenever there's a, a modern art gallery, an art gallery of any kind in Colombo. The art is always not modern. In, no, in no, of course not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh well, this God. is a, this is a show that gave us a uh, Robbie the robot as the cutting edge of technology in that's like true. 1977. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's uh, true. would. Have but I loved it. But what if John did not care for it? No, I did not care for it. All right. Uh, yeah. So going back to Detective Brown for just a second, he has one scene where uh, they're at the little outdoor diner or whatever it is where they meet yes. uh, Robert Donner. Yeah. And Columbo says something that amuses Detective Brown, and he laughs. But the longer Columbo keeps talking, the less Brown has to laugh about, and so he just slowly... Like, obviously, they should have cut off of him at some point. Right. But they left the camera on just so they could watch his laugh turn into a forced smile, turn into a <laughs> rueful glare, turn into just, like, a downturned expression of disappointment and discomfort. Uh, <laughs> I think it might have been when they were talking about him. Um, uh, oh, I know what it was. It was uh, talking about how Columbo could just get into his regular clothes to go down to Skid Row. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. Which hey, good they're being they're being mean to Columbo about his clothes, his usual dress, and Columbo's like, "Yeah, you're right. I dress like shit. <laughs> you got me." And also, that scene uh, yeah. that is a scene where more than and there's many instances of this in the episode. More than any other part of this episode, they think the audience are a bunch of morons. Because it's when they're piecing together these giant blow-ups of the two halves of the list of names. And they show the one half the list. Okay. And they show the other half the list. And then they show, oh, but here it is, the two halves together, because they're two halves of the same list. Yes, of course they are. All right. Here's the giant pieces of the photograph. And they just slowly put them down. It's like, yes, we get it. Do you, do you know what I credit that with? Ugh, what? That that would have been just as the as Gen X was finding them their their power in entertainment, mm-hmm. and I think that was like an open disdain for the previous generation. I honestly think they're like, well, we got to slow it down because the people going to be watching this are ninety, <sighs> so we got to make sure it's slow for them. But they're people who are ninety who have been watching presumably Columbo, Columbo for yeah. since like nineteen seventy. So you think they would be used to something a little bit quicker slow, than that? Slow it down. Slow it down. A little bit down. faster than that. It's like the Dabney Coleman episode. They took so long oh, that's in the right. photo lab. You know what? Yes. Here's yeah, how photography kind of, was. Is, I mean, not only was this a deviation from the formula where we know who the murderer is from the beginning, it intended to deviate from that, but we really did know who the murderer was from the beginning anyway. Yes, no, it's very... Actually, I want to ask about that, too, because... Uh, what, I watched this thing twice. God have mercy on my soul. I watched this thing twice. And um, Ed Bakley Jr.'s... And this is weird, actually, talking about this episode, too, because it's not like a regular Columbo episode. So us saying who the murderer is is kind of strange, because if you're going to see this, well, it'll ruin the ending, which you don't usually have in a Columbo episode. Yeah, good point. Um, but sorry, folks. Ed Bakley Jr. killed a million people. Blah. Um, <laughs> was his motivation... To get the four million bucks himself, or was his motivation to find the four million bucks to reestablish his uh, stature and his job in the insurance company as investigator? Because they never really quite made that super clear. So I'm not sure. You'd have to assume was. he was just going to take four million bucks and leave town. Maybe, but I don't know. Like they never. It was never very clearly laid out. 
I think after you killed a few people, even if you you have a great career in insurance, you're just begging to get yeah, I guess so. Hang out, okay. So. And they well, never really laid out like why that lady was willing to lie for him so much. Because he was so good at having sex. Oh, of course. Right. They were. The, he was the best at sex. We even got a peek down his pants to prove it. There you go. It's and Beckley Junior. Man, that's true. Yeah. Nineties. 80s, well, huh? yeah, eighties, nineties, Ed Bagley Jr. That was definitely uh, the where you wanted. That to reminded be. me. Do you remember like briefly that uh, there seemed to be an effort to make Jeff Goldblum and Ed Bagley like comedy partners? Uh, well, no, he was in that. Uh, what was it? Ten Speed Transyl- Ground Shoe, Transylvania Six Five Thousand. Yeah, that's right. Oh my and, god, what was he? And yeah, I think there was right. a, wasn't there another one where they like teamed up for something. Oh, right, Ten Speed and Ground Shoe was him and um, Ben Vereen. Yeah. Yeah. Never mind. Uh, but like there, there must have been a point where they're like, let's get these two weird lanky straight <laughs> Let's make comedy out of that. All they, need, all they needed was a tall, gangly Muslim, and they could have, you know, really had a Three Stooges for the new generation. <laughs> White Muslim. There you go. Oh um, have we mentioned in our discussion of the weird character actors in the show that um, Robert Donner plays? Here the guy who hangs around the police station talking to people who don't answer him, and it just I, sort of feels like he's channeling Exodor. I, well, I see the thing, the weird, John and I were talking about this earlier today. Um, I completely didn't latch on to the um, Orca Mindy thing. The first thing I kept thinking of was his, uh, him being on the Waltons, that Yancey guy, Yeah, over and over I've, again. I've never seen the Waltons, so for but, me it's Exodor. But the weird thing is, too, this his character... Felt like the audience was supposed to know who he was as some kind of recurring character, and I don't know. So he's not a recurring character in these eighty-seven precinct novels, right? No, John? I, I've never. I'm not familiar with his because that's what it felt like to me. I felt like oh, we're supposed to know he's this guy that uh, they always rely on to do parking investigations. Like I didn't get exactly why <laughs> yeah. he was there. That made no sense, that character. It's like, oh, it's this guy with this New England accent who reads a newspaper and uh, gets angry about getting uh, stiffed for coffee or something. He keeps telling you how long you've been waiting. Yes. That's his whole job. He's a security guard? Next cop? I don't know. Like his, I don't know that character. And if they changed his name from the novels, his name in the show is Zeke. Right. And there's definitely no character in in the books named that. But... You know, it felt uh, like a recurring out. beloved. Oh, good! They got old Zeke in. Like if yeah, you if you read these books, yeah, it's like oh man, I can't believe they got Zeke into the TV version of this. That's great. <laughs> that's awesome. Like they, they, they kept you know um, Arthur Brown uh, in this show. That's his name in the books too. So yeah, uh, I'm assuming he was just written into the show, and he's just but like he seems like he has a you know like you say, it seems like he has a recurring gag. But we've never seen him before. Yes, so, like it's like this gag makes no sense. No, you know? it doesn't. It's like, oh, that's that guy. That guy is always reading the newspaper and always talking about it. Only gets some water and then uh, brings you uh, parking meters. <laughs> I, I really did think he was a security guard, which made the scene where he shows up having sawed a parking meter off <laughs> yes. really shocking. Because I'm like, you don't have that power. Exactly. Like you can just do it. Like, he's just sawing it off in front of that building, and if somebody's like, uh, what are you doing there, pal? He's like, well, I'm just doing it for Lieutenant Colombo down Homicide. I've been doing this for 20 minutes now. I'm always oh, sawing off parking meters for Lieutenant Colombo. I'm always <laughs> checking on the parking rules here in New York, in Los Angeles. I swear to God, there must have been a better way to get the quarters out of that thing. Yeah, I don't know. Do they have to saw them off every time they empty them? I, yes, they do, John. You didn't know this? Very dramatic, I you suppose. You didn't know that they did that? Necessary. They had to do that. Yeah, yeah that was... Uh, you, you can't, you can't uh, collect these without break. Sorry, Leonard? Uh, one fun thing about the plot yeah. is that the Ugh. robbers are super incompetent. Like, every time you hear about them, it's that they fucked up another robbery. Yes! <laughs> and yet it takes so long to catch them. And so many die. And so many die. So many people died for yeah, this, this, for this failed bank robbery. Has to be the highest body count of any Columbo episode I've seen. The, the highest, because like I've seen is two. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Like the four bank, four of the bank right. robbers are dead. Yeah, 
before the episode even starts. Yes, like and then you got the two guys. So you get four, five, six, uh, Burt Young, Tyrannese. There's like eight people. Eight people end up dying for this thing. Yeah. That's a hell of a body count. That's some it good is. right there. Yeah. Oh. Good God. <laughs> and and, and the, what are we, no, I, what are we missing? I, I think uh, oh the uh, I think you had something about the uh, newsstand the the drop at the newsstand where Colombo oh. again kind of encounters another prostitute, and then oh, does yeah. the drop does the drop at the newsstand where they've got this weird mix of I noticed also the um, the uh, cover of Rolling Stone where Nirvana was wearing suits I noticed that mm. was there placing it, but they had like um, an issue of Newsweek. But it's called News View, but the same font and everything. So that one, oh, we got to change Newsweek. Yeah. But then I uh, below that, but then below that, you see an issue of Lowrider. That one's okay. We get the right <laughs> clearance, rights clearance for Lowrider, but we can't get it for Newsweek. Sorry. I was wondering if that was a spinoff magazine of Newsweek. Like a, I don't think so. I, I think it was anything? just one of those prop ones they had. And, and John, right. uh, you, you you told me earlier that the uh, newsstand, you have some sort of theory oh, about I, that. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's a theory, but it reminded me of the newsstand from They Live. It probably is. And so I like to pretend it's the newsstand from They Live. Like <laughs> Columbo pops on those glasses. Why not? Yeah, There's you, two working class heroes. What? You. They're all they're all aliens. They're all lizard aliens. No, they all have skulls. Skinless skulls. You can have that if I can pretend that guy really was Exodor. There you go. Sure. It would fit together so well. To police station, you know. Yeah. So I, think I just looked up. Uh, I just looked Roddy up the credits and, uh, for the guy who wrote this episode. Yes. Yeah. Which I didn't even bother with this one. <laughs> this is the last thing he ever wrote. Good. But. His the majority, the biggest thing he ever did, he wrote 65 episodes oh, of no. Dennis the Menace. When <laughs> <laughs> did what? Dennis the Menace go off the air? Uh, like the mid 60s, mid 60s, late 60s, Holy the earliest. Moses. 65 episodes of Dennis the Menace? No, no, this was a, oh. the and then he wrote this. This is oh. the 80s cartoon. Oh, okay. What, that, why is that better, oh, RJ? Okay. That's not better, RJ. Don't say, oh, okay. All right. That's almost worse. Wow. So that, I had a, I almost in my head entire, that means he wrote almost the entire series. Probably, yeah. I just oh, had a vision goodness. of a guy who, like, the last job he had was writing for Dennis the Menace, the live-action black-and-white show. Yes, and that's what I assume. And then 30 years of nothing, and then he writes Columbo. Yeah, that's that's. I like. The, I'm going to stick with that story. I like that story better in my head. I will sleep tonight with that story. <laughs> my goodness gracious! And I was going to say, like, thing. Columbo is a, a working class hero. Roddy Piper and They Live is a working class hero. Oh, I that's the only reason they can't share the same universe. Yeah, yeah, oh, sure, sure. Yeah, that would make sense. That would right. help this episode. Make sense. It would not make sense, but it it would be fun. Um, so I'm trying. I'm looking through my notes. I'm like, oh, uh, I know how we can go oh. out. I got. I got the perfect thing to go out on. Well, I got. I got a couple things I want to bring up. Um, Columbo has abnormally long thumbnails in this episode, and there are a lot of uh, close-up shots of his thumbnails. Other fingernails are fine. For some reason, his thumbnails are creepily long. I don't know if that's an old guy thing or what, but his thumbnails huge and unsettling. Um, huh. Oh yeah, the the. Uh, the photo looking like Donald Duck, the one photo fragment. They bring that up a lot. Right. It's, I didn't think that much. Look, the first one looks like a thing. belly dancer. Yeah, they say that, too. Yeah, they say that. It doesn't look like a belly dancer. I don't know no. what they said. No, and the other one doesn't look like uh, Donald Duck. Oh, and uh, Detective Brown, really obsessed with referring to ambulances as a meat wagon. Right. Which, up to then, I always kind of thought the meat wagon was the morgue truck. So I'm like, whoa, whoa, hey, he's an old man. He's not dead. But no, he just came like, I'm calling you a meat wagon. Oh, I'm calling the meat wagon. I guess that also is a uh, somewhat common phrase for ambulances, which I hope no one ever uses when I get kicked in the head in a flea bag hotel, which will happen eventually. It's got to happen. It'll be some Christmas. An interesting life. Yeah. Well, no, it'll be interesting life. Uh, Laura finally gets a stick of stuff, and that's a couple Christmases. And some guy just kicks me in the head in a flea bag hotel. That's going to happen. Mark my words. If you'd like to kick RJ in the head in a flea bag motel, <laughs> write to us at Columbo at the city desk dot I'll be at I'll be at fifty years old when that happens, and so there you go. Kicked in the head in a flea bag motel. Uh, sorry, you guys have anything else? <laughs> I have. Uh, I do have. I discovered 
a review of this episode from the Baltimore Sun. Oh, 1994. Uh, so this the, is the day of, is or act, what? The day of. This is an actual review. The day that was ran in the Baltimore. So, Sun. so this is the uh, the network sent out videotapes, TV critics cross country. And it's like, well, you know, if that's Sunday, you could run something in your TV section, hopefully, to get people to tune in to the show mm-hmm. that night after they read their Sunday paper and say, like, oh, I'm going to watch that episode of Columbo. Uh, that's what this is for. Hopefully, try. And uh, how did that uh, review please, go, please John? Tell me, please tell me that this review is by David Simon. It oh. would have been lovely. It is God, that David. would have been great. Who is it? It's unfortunately by David Zorowick. Close right. enough. It's a David. Close enough. Uh, well, here's the, here's the title of it. Uh, Columbo undercover and underwhelming in oh. ham heavy movie. Oh dear, ham uh, heavy. Ham heavy. Uh, he talks a lot about it going camp. Yeah, uh, describes it a little bit. Let me run down to the middle. Uh, let's see, <laughs> camp. Uh, where the main the episode mainly goes is camp. Camp is in Columbo dressing like a mafia don to win yep. the confidence of one of the relatives. When he first appears as the Don, the theme from The Godfather starts to play. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. they did kind of do a really yeah. cheap knockoff version of it. Oh, God. If, oh, Camp is in Columbo posing as a small-time hood to gain the confidence of another person who holds a piece of the photograph. Someone says Young's character looks like, quote, the guy in Rocky. This next paragraph is where it's golden. Okay. <laughs> I know about postmodern sensibilities, self-referentiality, and all that culture talk. This isn't it. This is a dumb script. Oh, dear. Yeah. He does have uh, good things to say about the Time Daily scene. Okay. And then adds, but that's only three minutes out of two hours. <laughs> oh, my. And ends uh, it does end on the final scene, which we haven't talked about yet, but we can throw that in real quick. Go ahead. In the final scene, almost as a crumb to real Columbo fans. Oh, that's so right, the, yes. Yep, the lieutenant pulls up in his wreck of a car wearing his crumpled trench coat and talks about having to take his dog to the park. It's a little late and comes off as calculated. And actually, what he says, well, well first of all, they're, they're, they find the, uh, they put a little piece of the photograph together. They find the treasure box, which... Was not lined or waterproofed in any way, and yet the boat, the the four million dollars and bills are all bone dry. But whatever, Columbo pulls up in the classic car. He's got the dog, and he says, "I saw enough of this case." So yeah. that almost seems like that is kind of a thing. Like, all right, we're gonna get back to the normal stuff next time, folks. This was the, we did one and out, one and done. We had enough of this nonsense. And now he's got to back up off of that jetty too. Yes. Uh, Actually, no. He I, backed. He backed onto the jetty, which is which awkward is, and strange. So he can drive forward off it. But yeah, he's going to take dog to the park, and he's had enough of this thing. And gotta he's be out dog of here. three at this point. Gotta be dog three. <laughs> yes, it has to be. And little uh, did he I, know. Little did he know that he had George Wendt waiting in his future. That's right. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. I'm a, I'm particularly taken by the reactions of the young detectives as they were hauling the money out. They're so excited. Uh, they're so excited. They're waving it around in an action that I would I would describe as clearly they're going to keep a lot of it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Captain, we could only find like half of it, and the captain's going to be like, "But these guys are bad people." <laughs> uh. All right. So, wrapping things up, <laughs> let's do our usual thing where we go around. Uh, uh, let's start with our guest, uh, Leonard. Uh, what did, What did you think of this episode? Uh, to kind of summarize. Uh, I think of this episode uh, that I am going to hope next time you call me to be on the show will be another seventieth episode. <laughs> we'll call you for the Shatner one. All right, the '90s Shatner one. John, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> what did you think of this uh, last 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 episode of the podcast? We watched "Bye Bye Sky High IQ Murder." Yeah. And I mentioned that I saw it the first time. I did not like it. And then upon rewatching it, it's now one of my favorites. Yeah. I mentioned that because this is the opposite. Yeah. That when yeah. I first saw it, I thought, oh, nice that they're kind of mixing it up. It's not a bad episode. Some good performances. Cool. Watching it again for the show, I really, I got so tired of it. Yeah. I just, I don't, it wasn't even like really disliking it. It was being confused and, and slightly put to sleep by it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, me? 
I kind of feel like the odd thing is uh, Aaron Blair, who was on the show, did not like uh, the very formula of a regular Columbo episode. So it kind of makes me feel like, uh, well, geez, would he like this one then? Because it hues closer to the mystery thing. Are you saying that this episode was the Aaron Blair, just one more thing of Columbo episodes? It may have been. It just may have been. Or maybe I, like, I understand what he felt like a little bit. But because it just didn't... Yeah, this this wasn't a good... It, it, wasn't, it wasn't even just not a good Columbo said. It was not a good episode of television. Yeah. Really. I, I'm sticking by my 15 directors statement. It was, it was, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't just not a good Columbo episode. It was just not a good TV episode. Yeah. It was a bad mystery. It was, yeah, I don't know. This the, thing. The stakes Oof. were unconvincing because there's a murder and yeah. everybody, there's all the, you figure out pretty quick that everybody involved in the murder or in the, uh, in the tr- recovery of the treasure is going to potentially be murdered. Yes. But you kind of don't care about any of them. No, you don't at all. Like I liked Shira Denise, but I that's didn't, it. Yeah, I didn't think she was going to make it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if if I had watched this thing through again, I would have stopped it at the point where you know how when the first two murders take place, and the medical examiner is there and he's like, "Oh, this is a clear double homicide." Yeah, good, done. Just all right. That's it. That's the end. Well, it was a good episode. Nice and quick. I'm gonna get a sandwich. Episode. Perfect. All right, so uh, folks listening, if you can. Uh, <laughs> Get an app, get a hold of this episode either on the uh, Columbo DVD set or on the YouTube or by other means, finding it just kind of laying around on the floor of the internet. You don't really have to go to the trouble, is what we're saying. It is our consumer reports for Columbo episodes, is uh, it maybe like half of one of those little circles in the thing, if that. That's it. All right, well, I- thank you, Leonard. Sorry, uh, John. Oh, I was just saying, I'm, I'm really dying for one of our listeners to turn out to be a, a just a, a, a huge fan man. of this. Yes, yeah. or just get mad at us, like, <sighs> oh, you don't like every single one. You didn't see this one because <laughs> sometimes oh, it's boy. here's the thing. It's a wonderful show. We like Columbo. We like Columbo a great deal. But you know what? They're not all perfect gems. Sometimes they don't work, and this one did not work. But that's okay. That makes you appreciate the good ones even more. That makes you appreciate it when the thing's firing all cylinders. That makes it even better to know that there's super good ones to counteract the the handful of uh, bad apples. As, as the they Columbo say in basket. baseball. Yes. As they say in baseball, it's a long season. It is. It is. And we still have a lot of innings to go for this. Oh, those Scottish guys. These are this is gonna be this is gonna be like the last like long time of their show. Your desperate concern God for bless the poor them. Scottish guys is terrific. It's, I hope they do okay. I hope they do okay. I half suspect they're going to get to this episode and that you're going to hear over their microphones the sound of you busting in the front door. Like, no, don't, don't, do, don't it. do it. Don't, please. I flew all the way. For the love of God, I finally got a passport just to do this. You have a passport? Was this a... Gary, uh, Ian, I don't have a passport. I, where am I going to go? I'm not, where am I going to go? In please. the context of 90s Columbo episodes, was this an early one or a later one? Later. Mid. Mid? Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, when did it end? Did it end like in 95, 96? 96, I think. Yeah, 96. Yeah, okay, yeah, it would be about the middle or so. It's got like a dozen episodes before it and after it. Yeah. So. Yikes. That's going to be a test. Oh, actually, no, Columbo went on until technically until 2000. Well, yeah, there's like a few, in, maybe like one a year or something like that up until yeah, the yeah. end. So this is like kind of... so well. So, yeah. Still near the mid, I would say. So you got a lot to look forward to. I tell you, folks, the next one we're doing, it's going to be a barn burn. It's going to be a corker. I'm not saying which one it is, but it's going to more than make up for this deal. They're all going to know. Everybody can guess, and everybody's guess is going to be right. The next episode we're doing is fantastic. Did you hear that, Leonard? The next episode we're reviewing is fantastic. Thanks, guys. It's for (laughs) the course. You can listen to it. You can listen to it. And and, and chew on it, chew on it, washcloth, and listen to it, and just wonder what could have been. So there you go. All right. Well, Leonard, thank you, though, for uh, being a good sport and doing this. Uh, if folks want to see uh, what you're doing and writing these days, where should they go on the Internet to do that? They can go to LeonardPierce.com. And is there I, you've got a, a, a special also kind of uh, thing going on, too, right? Uh, 
Sure, absolutely. Always something special going on at LeonardPierce.com. Well, I mean, the, the uh, patron thing. That, that's what I was just going for. Anybody who chooses to may support my patron, which gets them all the in all the material that appears every month on my website, plus bonus materials and additional whatnots for whatever tiny amount of money you care to pay. There you go. Bargain at half the price. Folks, help keep me in... Uh, Chicago. <laughs> I was going to say Chicago. Yeah, help help keep uh, help keep uh, Leonard's subscription to Suave. Yeah, I got something year. to read on the landing. There you go. Oh my goodness! Well, that's the show for this time around. Um, you can listen to episodes. Just one more thing: New World at thecitydesk.net slash just one more thing. You can follow us on Twitter at JOMT Podcast. Uh, if you want to write in to ask us questions. Uh, tell us that we're terrible for disliking this episode. Uh, you can write to us at Columbo at thecitydesk.net. Uh, we've got a Tumblr where we uh, post a lot of supplemental material, uh, screen grabs, and other observations that uh, John pulls out. Uh, that is... What did we change it to again? J-O-M- it's, it's now J-O-M-T Podcast. Oh, J-O-M-T Podcast. Tumblr.com. Consolidating the brand, folks. Consolidating that valuable, valuable, just one more thing podcast brand. Um, I think that's all of the internet stuff we do. So that's the show. Uh, thank you for listening. I'm sorry, this one just wiped me out. We are as, we all three are going to need a nap. It's just it's just the whole thing was just confounding, uh, and and tiring and puzzling. And I can't imagine what we're going to do when we get to uh, the George Went episode or uh, Last Salute to the Commodore. I don't know. I'm I'm I'm, I'm astonished. Um, well, that's it. I'm R.J. White. I'm John Morris. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Bye. Oh, listen, just one more thing. Do you know what the picture is supposed to reveal? My client... Your client, my ass. You're a cop. Who are you trying to kid, Arthur?